Our lesson from the New Testament is found in a little-known letter of St. Paul's that tucked away in between the epistle to Titus and the epistle to the Hebrews is this marvelous little document, the briefest of all of Paul's letters, but it is loaded with powerful meaning for our minds and hearts. Paul's letter to Philemon. From Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy, to our friend and fellow worker Philemon, and the church that meets in your house, and our sister Aphia, and our fellow soldier Archippus, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I pray, Brother Philemon, I mention you and I give thanks to my God, for I hear of your love for all God's people and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that our fellowship with you as believers will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in Christ. Your love, dear brother, has brought me great joy and much encouragement, for you have cheered the hearts of all God's people. For this reason, I could be bold enough as your brother in Christ to order you to do what should be done but love compelled me to make a request instead. I do this even though I am Paul, the aged, the ambassador of Christ Jesus, and at present also a prisoner for his sake. So I make a request to you on behalf of Onesimus, who is my own son in Christ, for while in prison I became his spiritual father. At one time he was of no use to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you now, and with him goes my heart. I would like to keep him here with me while I'm in prison for the gospel's sake so that he could help me in your place. However, I do not want to force you to help me. Rather, I would like for you to do it of your own free will, so I will not do a thing unless you agree. It may be that Onesimus was away from you for a short time, so that you might have him back forever. For now he is not just a slave, but much more than a slave. He is a dear brother in Christ. How much he means to me, and how much more he will mean to you, both as a slave and as a brother in the Lord. So if you think of me as your partner, welcome him back just as you would welcome me. If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, Charge it to my account. Here, I will write this with my own hand. I, Paul, will pay you back. I should not have to remind you, of course, that you owe me your very life. So, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Cheer up my heart as a brother in Christ. I am sure as I write this that you will do what I ask. In fact, I know that you will do even more. At the same time, Get a room ready for me, because I hope that God will answer the prayers of all of you and give me back to you. Amen. May God bless to our hearts understanding this reading from his word. Tom Starwalt is from Ohio, and he's very happy today because Ohio State is going to be back at its accustomed place in the Rose Bowl. And uh, they, you know, every time I think of the Rose Bowl, every year during the big Rose Bowl football game, 
uh, the filler material that the that is supplied by the researchers of the network to the broadcasters always includes a story about Wrongway Regals, a man by the name of Roy Regals. There was a very famous ball game that was played in 1929 in the Rose Bowl. And Georgia Tech, from where Alan, Alan is from Georgia Tech, and <laughs> Georgia Tech was playing uh, the University of California, the Rose Bowl, 1929. Georgia Tech won that ball eight to seven. It was a very close ball game. And some strange things happened in that ball game. Among the strangest was that the University of California had made a strong push toward the Georgia Tech goal line and were getting it within striking territory. And one of their fellows, the University of California fella, had the ball and fumbled it in midair, went up in the air. One of his teammates looked up and saw it and caught the ball. But in his confusion, he ran toward his own goal line. One of his own teammates chased him all the way down the field and tackled him on his own one-yard line. And so he got the name of Wrongway Regals. And every, he's, he's been haunted by it ever since. And every year, the sports writers all dig this out and tell this tale again about how this fellow ran the wrong way. That's not all that happened in that ball game. His teammate tackled him on the one-yard line and so the University of California had to punt from its own end zone. And their kicker stood back in the end zone to kick the ball. And when he kicked it, when his, ball, when his foot impacted against the ball, the ball exploded. It just wasn't the University of California's day. <laughs> well, now the point is this. Key 73 emphasizes this week repentance. And this first phase has to do with repentance. Repentance means going the right way. Repentance means conversion. It means turning around and going in the way that we ought to go. And our lesson today is an interesting story of how God works in minds and hearts to change the whole direction of a man's life and to change his attitude toward other people. Alan Morris Jr. spoke to us a moment ago about the change that Jesus Christ had wrought in his life. Now, how does this change work its way out in our daily relationships? Back in the day in which our Lord Jesus Christ had preached and taught his gospel, and when his first flaming heralds began to carry the Christian message, they carried with them a message that had life-changing impact. I remember how fascinated I was in reading material on the atomic bomb that one little three-inch cube of uranium which could be held in a person's hand, had changed the whole course of civilization. Well, here, the power of the Christian message, when rightly received and believed, has more power than uranium, and has changed the course of civilization because it changes the lives of individuals. It's God's dynamite, his power. We see this, and there are three characters in this letter that especially interest me. When you pick up this little bit of business correspondence, you can learn a lot about a man by the letters that he writes and by the letters that he receives. And here is a man by the name of Paul. He is a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been taking this life-changing message every place that he could go, preaching and teaching. Now, because of this, he had gone on occasion up to Jerusalem where he had taken a collection 
a money that had been gathered up in the Gentile churches for the relief of the poor Jews who were suffering because they had believed in Christ in Jerusalem. It was there that he was caught, and the Jews who were jealous of him because of his preaching of Jesus as the Messiah created a tumult which resulted in Paul being arrested and finally being transported as a prisoner all the way to the city of Rome. Now Paul was such a man that even while he was on board ship he witnessed to, to his faith in Jesus Christ. Even when he was in prison he won people to faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever won another person to Jesus Christ? Have you ever even tried? If not, why not? Is it because you have no faith to communicate? Is it because you're ashamed of Jesus? Or why? Are you uncertain about your faith? Well, Paul could win even prisoners, fellow prisoners. He could win even sailors and soldiers. He won them to the Lord. Well, while Paul is in prison in the city of Rome, he comes into contact with a runaway slave whose name is Onesimus. Nowadays, we hear a lot of talk about the race problem. There is no way for me to accurately depict for you in the brief time that I have the tremendous barrier between a slave and a free man in the Roman Empire. Slaves had no rights at all. They were chattel. They were sold like you would sell mules or pigs or chickens or cows. They had no rights. A master could torture a slave to death. In fact, in reading the resource material, the background material of slavery in Roman times, I read that not only were there estimated 600,000 slaves in Rome, but that there were slaves uh, that, that one, uh, on one occasion the Emperor Augustus, you remember in the reign uh, of Augustus is when our Lord Jesus was born. Well, this was one of the high peaks of Roman culture at that particular time. Augustus on one occasion was visiting a Roman citizen who had a slave who was coming toward him with a, a tray with some crystal goblets on it, some drinking vessels. The slave broke one of these vessels, one of these goblets. His master ordered that he be thrown to some lamprey eels and be torn apart. Augustus, to his credit, intervened and demanded that the whole situation stop. And he had all the fellow's goblets broken up as in anger at what he had done. But this is the way slaves were treated. They could be mutilated, they could be destroyed, they could be crucified. Well, Onesimus was a slave. Paul was a free man. He was a Roman citizen. And yet when you become one in Jesus Christ, the pigmentation of your skin does not mean a thing in the world. Not a thing in the world. Uh, when you are united in Jesus Christ, and here comes this union of Jesus Christ, here comes this slave, Onesimus, imprisoned in Rome. He becomes a friend of Paul. He helps Paul. Somehow he gets his freedom. One day in a conversation, he begins to relate to Paul and confess to him. He says, you know, I am really a slave. 
I ran away from my master. Not only did I run away from him, but I stole some of his money when I ran away. And Paul said, where, where was your home? And he said, it was back in the city of Colossae. In Colossae, I lived in the house of a man whose name was Philemon. And Paul said, well, I know Philemon. Philemon is a Christian. I myself led Philemon to Jesus Christ. He is a converted man. And so Paul said, you must go back to Philemon. But when you go, I want you to take a letter from me to Philemon. Now let me say this. Paul begins his letter, Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, from our brother Timothy to our friend and fellow worker Philemon. And the church that meets in your house, a church was meeting in this man's house. He must have been a person of considerable wealth because the church met there and because he owned slaves. Paul gives him the greeting, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and give you peace. And then Paul delineates something about Philemon. He tells us that Philemon was a person of great hospitality. He says that he recalls how Philemon often cheered the hearts of God's people. Often he refreshed the saints is the way another translation reads. There are some of us, when we look back upon churches, we can recall certain people in the congregations who were refreshers of God's people. Just to see them was a refreshing breath of air. How they bespoke love in their attitudes toward you, how they upheld you in, your pray in prayer, how they supported. And Philemon must have been such a person as this. When you join the Presbyterian Church in the United States, you take a vow a very solemn bow before Almighty God. And it is that you will support the church in its worship and its work to the best of your ability. I wonder how many people really remember those vows. By your attendance, by your gifts, by your prayers. Well, evidently, Philemon was such a person as that. And Paul commends him for the loving way in which he had used his hospitality uh, to be a blessing to many. And then he begins his request. Now Paul said, because I am your father in the faith, I could assert my apostolic authority and be bold and demand of you that you receive back Onesimus, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a request. And my request is going to be based upon love. Paul says, I am now Paul the aged. Actually, I was interested in this. Uh, Paul must have been about 60 years old. It's funny, that gets younger every year. Uh, <laughs> uh, the great Hippocrates, the man that uh, was the medical writer in ancient times, uh, said that a man was old between 49 and 56. Well, Paul was a little older than that. He was about 60. And he writes as Paul the aged one, and then he uses a play upon words, Paul, the aged one who is an ambassador and a prisoner. He was an ambassador of Jesus Christ, representing, remember that an ambassador does not represent himself, he represents another. He represents another. And Paul says, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We are to represent Jesus Christ, not our selfish attitude, but Jesus Christ. 
That's important to remember. And Paul says, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I am Paul the aged. I am in prison for Jesus' sake. And he says, Onesimus, your slave, I've met here. And Paul says he has become a Christian, and I am his spiritual father. Paul was the means of leading this Onesimus, this worthless one, and there is a subtle play on words in verse 11. The word Onesimus means useful. But actually, Onesimus had not been very useful. He had become worthless and had actually stolen from his master on top of it. Now, the slaves at this time did practically everything. By the way, the slaves were the doctors. The slaves were the scribes. The slaves were the teachers of children. The slaves occupied most of the professional classes. So he may have been uh, a person of some learning. And Paul uh, uh, says at one time he was not useful to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. What made him useful? What made him useful was the fact that he had had an experience, a life-changing experience, as that power that I talked about earlier, that power of the love of Jesus Christ had come into his heart. That power would later crack the whole Roman Empire's slavery system wide open because it was the love of God, and it has that kind of power. Paul says, I'd like to keep him here while I'm in prison for the gospel's sake so that he could help me in your place. But I don't want to force you to help me, Paul says. Rather, I would like for you to do this of your own free will, and so I will not do a thing unless you agree. It may be that God let Onesimus depart from you for a while that you might have him forever, and I'm sending him back to you. Now here, let me say again, is this breakdown of distinction that this powerful love of Christ brings. Paul did not attack the whole vicious system of slavery in one swoop. No, he worked on an individual. And there was spiritual persuasion that worked in this man's heart. And that spiritual persuasion worked in such a way that I believe that Philemon, when he received this letter from Paul, must have looked upon Onesimus no longer as a slave but as a brother, a brother in the bonds of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the Christian message to change a life or a heart. I have in my hand a copy of a little book called Dr. Johnson's Prayer. This is something that I've shared before and it's so beautiful I can't resist it again. I use this all the time. Samuel Johnson was one of the most learned men of his day. Samuel Johnson will live as long as people read the English language. Samuel Johnson was a Christian. And there is an interesting thing here. Let me read to you from his journal. Yesterday, October the 17th, at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I took leave forever of my dear old friend, Catherine Chambers who came to live with my mother at about 1724 and has been but little parted from us since. She buried my father, my mother, and my brother. She is now 58 years old. I desired all to withdraw from the room, and then I told her that we were to part forever. 
that as Christians we should part with prayer and that I would, if she desired, offer up a short prayer beside her. She expressed her desire to hear me and she held up her poor hands as she lay in bed with great fervor while I knelt by her and I prayed. Now this is interesting. Here is one of the noblest scenes. Here is a servant, a charwoman, the kind who gets down on the floor and scrubs the floor with a brush. Here is the man who was the foremost person in English letters of his whole century. He is kneeling beside her bed praying for her. He is kneeling beside her bed and prays for her. I then kissed her. She told me that to part was the greatest pain she had ever felt, but that since she hoped we would meet again in a better place, I expressed with swelled eyes and great emotion the tenderness of the same hope. We kissed and parted. I, hum I humbly hope to meet again and to part no more. Do you see what happens when the love of Jesus Christ comes into a heart or life? I think that same love was evident there in Philemon's heart when Onesimus came back again. A triangle of friendship. Paul, the great herald of the gospel. Philemon, one whom he had led to Jesus. Onesimus, a runaway slave. And what do they all have in common? The fact that the love of God in Jesus Christ has come into their hearts, bringing a change of attitude, bringing a change of the direction and the force of their life, bringing a change into them, the change that is the most powerful change and the change that this world needs most to hear about. This is brought about all because of Jesus. Paul puts in, in the most Christ-like words imaginable, here I will write this with my own hand. If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Now Martin Luther, 450 years ago, in reading this little letter, said we are all Onesimuses. We are all runaway slaves and we've run away from God. And we have incurred a great debt. And Jesus, God's Son, has come after us and found us. And he has said about our debts, charge that to my account. I will pay that debt. Well, that type of faith and that type of love brought a change in Martin Luther 450 years ago. It brought a change in the life of Samuel Johnson 200 years ago. And it brings the same change in key 73. It's the key that can unlock. Because it is the proclamation of the gospel. That God not only loves us, but God brings another power into our lives that changes us. That what we're doing here is not playing church and going out of the door and living in the ways of the devil the rest of the week. This is what's so good about this letter. It's an intimate, personal Thing here. Nothing is more deplorable than to see a man who piously prays and then walks out the door and starts blaspheming and cursing. 
or starts his hateful activities again or begins her malicious gossiping again. But that which is true is that power which in Jesus Christ made this apostle consistent. Now what the Lord Jesus wanted reduplicated in Paul's life and in Philemon's life and in Onesimus' life and in Martin Luther's life and in Samuel Johnson's life, he wants duplicated in us. He wants a faithfulness in us, a faithfulness that shows of our, our love and the fact that Christ has changed our hearts and minds and lives. I wonder if you ever read the story of Damon and Pythias. It's told by the ancient moralist Plutarch. He tells the story of how there were two great friends. One named Pythias had been condemned by Dionysius, the tyrant of Syracuse, to be crucified. Pythias wanted to go and tell his father and mother goodbye. His friend Damon told the tyrant, the king, whose name was Dionysius, that he would stay in prison in Pythias' place. And Pythias went away to go where his father and mother were, and his friend Damon took his place in the prison cell. He had three days to make his visit. When he started back in plenty of time, everything seemed to work against him. There came torrential rains, and a river that he was to cross had the bridges swept away, and it was swollen with floods. And only by the most heroic effort did he plunge in and swim through the river and get to the other side. He had to get back, or his friend would have to die in his place. When he got into a forest that he had to go through, he was attacked by robbers, and he battled fanatically until he fought them away and he could go on toward the place where his friend was in prison for his sake. The heat of the day struck him with such fierceness that he fainted. But when he had recuperated, he got to the gates of the city, just in time to hear the cheering cries of a mob. They were crying out with that savage glee that comes into certain people's minds when they see someone suffer. For Damon was being nailed to a cross. When some of Pythias' friends saw him, they said, Flee, you fool! It's too late to save your friend. Run for your own life. But Pythias would not do this. He went straight to the place of the crucifixion, pushed his way through the mob, and fell down at the feet of Damon. When Dionysius the king saw what had happened, he was so moved by this devotion that he demanded that the man nailed to the cross be released from the cross. And the king himself went to Pythias and asked if he might be the third member of such a friendship as that. A friendship that costs, that suffers, that is loyal, that is true. We are called by one who died in our place on the cross. We are called to a love and fellowship in him which binds us together and should be recreating in us the Christ-like love that we ought to be showing to all people, regardless of whether they are young or old, 
black or white, yellow or brown, rich or poor, cultured or uncultured. Jesus loves us, and we are to be reflectors of that love. Read Paul's little letter to Philemon, and remember that the one who paid our account is Jesus Christ. We owe all to him, and we are to show his love to all others. Let us stand in prayer. One may come into this relationship to Jesus Christ as a simple act of faith, simply by asking him to consciously be Lord, by recalling all the time that we belong to him, and by living it out in both word and deed before others. O God, our Heavenly Father, while our heads are bowed in this closing prayer, We ask in self-recollection before thee to forgive us for the ways in which we have put up these stupid barriers which Satan has erected that has kept us from showing your love to other people. Help us to know that there is that about you which does not love a wall nor a barrier and forgive us for walls which we have created. Help us to see them and to tear them down. Help us, O Lord God, to be so faithful in this year in which so much emphasis will be placed upon witness that we will search our own hearts to see that we are running in the right direction and that our minds and attitudes toward thee are right and that they are right towards our fellow men and thus enable us to communicate his love. Bless this church in its part in this program this year and use us to your glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our helper and our teacher, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.